Isn't that amazing? You thought I was crazy about the fractions. I'm not kidding you. The Greek root, that famous, ever famous quoted verse, it actually means, do not let your mind be what? Cut into pieces, divided, fractured, disintegrated. Do not let your mind be divided. Now, we are going to define anxiety here. And then I'm going to show you what the Bible says about this division and the cure for it. I'm serious with you. When it says do not be anxious, it means do not have a divided mind. Don't have a fractured mind. Now, what exactly does that mean? All right. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. If you want to get your Bibles out and turn there, maybe we should... Yeah, let's do that. Let's turn there. Now, I'm going to be using the... um, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, so it's a little bit different. have to bring out the reading glasses. Oh, boy. Can't wait for heaven. No reading glasses. My friends keep teasing me. You should get the little chains, wear it around your neck. I'm like, no, I think I look good like this. I'm good right up here. Okay, Genesis chapter 3. Now, we won't go through the whole thing, but when Adam and Eve rebelled against the parameters that God set, all right? Now, why should they have listened to God's parameters? Because He made the stuff. Like the person who makes it knows how to use it properly. When I was little, I still, actually, I still do. I love Legos. Some women do home interiors to decorate their end tables. If you come to my house, you'll find Lego cabins. I do build Legos still and decorate with them. Now, some people are like, oh, Okay, it's okay. Legos. I love Legos. And when I was little, I used to build Lego mansions, design them myself. Oh, yeah. Listen, huge layouts, indoor swimming pools. I used to take little butter bowls and plant them in the Lego house, and then the people could dive in and swim. Indoor swimming pools, you know, working, bookcases, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Now, if one of my brothers would have walked into the living room and saw this massive, you know, Lego mansion, they wouldn't have even known how to operate the thing. I used to build Lego spaceships. I mean, these, these kind of things that had wheels, but then if he put the wings up, he could fly into outer space. I mean, oh, this is awesome. Okay, but if anybody else would have picked it up, they would have, they would have probably broken it trying to use it. Listen, the reason Adam and Eve were to follow God's instructions, duh, He made it. He knows how to use it. If you don't use it the way it's designed, it's going to be broken. But they didn't listen to Him, and they sinned and they rebelled. So what happened as a result of their rebellion? That's what I want to look at. Genesis chapter three, okay, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the first thing they did in knowing good and evil now was that they tried to do what? I love this, and they used fig leaves. Now, I digress for just a minute, but I just have to say something here. Okay, first of all, fig leaves? Really? I mean, I'm just trying to picture even the biggest, hardiest leaf that there is. And I'm thinking, that's going to, oh my, I'd like my clothing to be a little bit more stable. You know what I'm saying? 
think my mic's coming off here. I'm getting all wound up. Which reminds me that last evening we had the nicest time going out to dinner. And um, Carol was there and she got all discombobulated about the straw paper. And uh, Michelle was there and Alice was there. And I, I, I don't know why I randomly said this. On our drive up here when they put me in the back seats in the little crib like the playpen back there. And I didn't have much to do. All of a sudden I said to Bree and Karen, I said... I don't know why, but some word just came into my head. Do you guys ever have that happen? Like an odd word out of nowhere comes into your head, and you're like, why? What made me think of this? I was sitting in the back seat, and I said, hey, Brian and Karen, I said, I just thought of a weird word. I don't know exactly what it means. They were like, what? And I go, pantaloon. <laughs> what, why am I? Pantaloon? What is that? What are pantaloons? I'm like, this list this popped into my head. So we were trying to have this long discussion, what's a pantaloon versus a bloomer, blah, 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 blah. By the way, if you need to know any of these things, you go straight to Alice, okay? <laughs> we were sitting at dinner last night. She cured it. Got, got the whole pantaloon thing down, the petty pants. Oh, boy, we went places I never even expected to go. But anyway... And that's just, that's what, for some reason, the fig leaves made me think of that. You know what I mean? So here's these two. They're going to try to cover themselves. But what they were doing in covering was they were trying to what? Hide. Like they wanted to hide. Okay, then we continue to go on in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which normally, by the way, should have been a wonderful thing. Amen? We get to walk with God. And the man and his wife, what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to them and said, where are you? And they said, we heard your sound in the garden and we were afraid. So we hid ourselves. Now listen. The tree thing cracks me up too, by the way. You'd have to be pretty thin to hide behind a tree. I love that. You know, Adam and Eve have just been, the wrath of God is about to come on them, and they go, hide like, it'd be like me hiding behind this podium. <laughs> yeah, I can just picture these two in the garden. Okay, God says, where are you? They said, we were afraid, so we ran and we hid. Listen, anxiousness, you're a little, you're just a tad anxious when you run behind a tree and hide from somebody. You're just a tad anxious when you feel so desperate to cover yourself that you're grabbing poison ivy and trying to make clothes out of it. You know what I'm saying? So we laugh at this, and it is kind of funny, but in reality, since that day, we have been running and hiding from everybody. Right, one thing people say about me as a speaker, that I like how you're transparent. And, it, and, and, and do you think I'm a little bit transparent? What you see is what you get. The good and the bad and the ugly. Okay? You get it all. Because, listen, we were not meant to wear these masks that we wear. I hate stuffy events where everybody has a mask on. I'll pretend you're perfect. You pretend I'm perfect. I will sit here and act like I have my life entirely together. And you do the same. And we'll sip our tea... Okay, I can't even sip my tea normally because I have this finger. You know what I'm saying? Look at this finger. You like this? Can anybody see it? That's a football injury. No kidding. It's an actual football injury, a contracted tendon. You try to press it down, it will not straighten out. People say, do you want to have surgery to get that thing straightened out? I said, no. In the rapture, it'll straighten. As soon as I go up, don't worry about it. But anyway, listen. We were meant to be transparent. We weren't meant to hide. 
anxiousness, not being where you should be with God, having a divided mind makes you want to run and makes you want to hide. And this is where it happened in brokenness of relationship with God. Again, we see brokenness leads to anxiety, running and hiding. Okay, another favorite passage of Scripture of mine. Now, I might start spitting on this one. You ready for this? We're getting close to when we're going to break for lunch. Got to get some spitting in before we go. That's always appetizing, okay? Yes, get your shields ready. I love Romans 8. Now, I know you think I'm crazy, but watch. This is all throughout the Bible. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to what? Decay. Disintegration. Brokenness. The creation is going to be liberated from this and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. This makes me think and know that heaven, part of the key to heaven is, part of the freedom we'll have is we won't any longer be divided or decaying in our minds or in our hearts. Nor will the entire created universe. Now this is amazing. Because there is something going on in the universe called the second law of thermodynamics. Anybody ever hear of, this, hear of the second law of thermodynamics? <laughs> okay, the first law of thermodynamics says the, the amount of matter in the universe is constant. Matter can't be added or taken away. Does that sound vaguely familiar? These are the basic principles of science. Yes. Okay, well, the second law of thermodynamics says that everything is tending towards decay or disorder or disintegration. Okay, second law of thermodynamics came into play when we fell into sin. Okay, watch this. Your daughter wants to go to a party on Friday night. You say, you cannot go to that party until that room is clean. Okay? So she goes into her room. She spit shines the whole thing. She windexes the mirror. She puts away all the dirty clothes. She cleans that room up. It is absolutely gorgeous. You go in there on Thursday. You're like, okay, you can go to the party Friday. Your room's perfect. All right? Two weeks later, you're positive that no natural disaster has moved through your part of town. You know there's not been a hurricane anywhere. You walk in the room and it is back to, it's gone. That's the second law of thermodynamics. Unless you act upon something with an intended force, it goes what? Downhill. It's like dusting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a dusting freak. I can't stand dust in my house. I'll dust the bookshelf. I'll turn around two days later. What? Unless you act upon it again, the dust is back. Everything's sunny. You buy a new car, how long does it look new? A week? Pretty soon you got a little scratch here, a little dent there, a little Walmart ping here, you know what I mean? My parents get all worked up by that. Got a little bit of rust starting inside here. Yeah, okay. Things tend to go what? I love it. That's why Jesus said the new heavens and the new earth are making all things New, eternally new, like never to get old. Can you believe it? Now, the second law of thermodynamics is most clearly seen in the human body. I don't mean to depress you. But the minute you're born, you start to die. You start to disintegrate. And the older you get, weird things start happening. Okay? Your teeth start wearing down and actually falling out. I've had this happen. 
I'm the only person in the universe who had a root canal when a tornado ripped through Irwin. The dentist was in the middle of a root canal and a tornado came through Irwin. He had to disband the root canal and take us in the basement. I lost the tooth. You can laugh. Okay, it's funny. But anyway, you get old, your teeth begin to wear down, fall apart. Okay, your hair, it starts to get a weird texture and gray, right? And it begins to fall out, all right? Your body begins to stoop over. You get shorter and your muscles get weaker. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> okay, this is, the sec- this is the second law of aerodynamics. Now watch this. I'm going to get really serious here, and this is so exciting. Let this minister to you. Romans 8.22 For we know that the whole creation... Look, not just you with your stooping over body and your gray hair and us start... Not just us, but how much? The whole what? The whole creation. The earth going through its earthquakes and the shifting of tectonic plates and, and, and the, the oceans going through hurricanes and tsunamis. The whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth. Amen? Everything is groaning right up to the present time that we live in. The whole creation is groaning. The word groaning there, it doesn't mean like a weird kind of complaining groan. It means really in the Greek a deep-rooted sigh. It means something like this. Like, I think about my body and how it's wearing down and wearing away and I think about the natural disasters in the world and the decay of relationships and everything that's going on and I I just kind of go like this. I'm waiting. Okay, that's the groan it means. Watch, Watch what it says. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the Holy Spirit in us, we groan inwardly. Now let's just stop there and let's just see. Can I get a testimony? Who groans? Okay. Seriously, this means a deep-seated sigh. We groan. In, we wake up in the morning and we know what we have to face and there's something in us that just says, Lord, help me hold on till that day. Watch this. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I'm big on this. This is something that is so under-preached in the world today. I'm telling you, we preach so much prosperity here and now stuff that we have all together lost. Why does God even have a heaven? You know? This world is a mess. It's always going to be a mess. It'll be a mess till Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. I can't wait. Tomorrow when I speak here at this church, I'm speaking on the second coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now listen, that's our ultimate hope. Now watch this. This verse says, now if you're in this room and you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you are a child of God. Amen? But it's not been finalized. It's not been consummated. You are a child of God by relationship, but you're waiting for something here. What is your true adoption? Listen, we're saved, but our salvation has not yet been fully seen. Praise God! Because I love what God has done. He's erased my sins. He's taken away my sins and my guilt. And I am a new creation on the inside. 
But my hair is still a mess on the outside. And my body's still wearing away. And I still tend towards sin because of my flesh. Every day it's a battle. Amen? It is a hard, doggone battle every day. And Jesus said, there is a day coming when my body will be redeemed. You have your spirit redeemed if you are saved, but you have not yet seen the redemption of your body. Amen? And I'm here to tell you something. That if... Now, I've told people whenever I go places and speak, God and I have a deal. I want to go in the rapture. Okay, so God, you have to come back before I die. Okay, so I just want the Lord to return me. But okay, if by chance I die, and you put me in the ground, and many years pass by, and the worms start to eat my body. I'm not trying to be gross, I'm trying to be real. We put people in the ground and we bury them. From dust we came into, dust we will return. And we eventually become eaten by the things in the ground. Listen. Every molecule of Shelley Prindle that you see on this stage before you right now, you will see again in heaven. There is a one-to-one correspondence between my physical body standing here right now and the body that I will hug you with in heaven. Amen? I do a whole separate three-hour event called the Heaven Event, and I teach on the reality of heaven from a biblical perspective. You are not going to float on a cloud and play a harp unless you like harps. Okay? I'll be playing the drums and building Legos and doing calculus over in the one corner. You, okay? It's not about cream cheese and clouds and harps. It's about jumping up and down on a trampoline. It's about tossing a football with your kids. It's about doing all the stuff that we love to do. It's about ruling and reigning and working and serving in a real new heavens and a new earth. Not an ethereal, super spiritual place, but an actual inhabited earth. Amen? I could go on for hours and hours about that, but alright, we're back to anxiety and then. God's whole plan is to take even the physical body from a state of disintegration and put it into a place of integration or wholeness. And however you are suffering in your body, and as we begin to age and we begin to think about these things, thank you, Jesus. You will run and leap again. Amen? You will never battle sin in the flesh Again. Amen? The spirit will be redeemed. It is redeemed. The body will be redeemed. Just showing you this theme of integration. Now, before we go to break, let's see how Jesus identified the main problem for us. Now, before I go to the scripture, actually, let me take it off here because um, I I want you to think about something. What is the purpose of the law in the Bible? What is the purpose of the commandments? Can anybody tell me? And please don't say, to make us good. Because I don't want you to be embarrassed. So nobody gives that answer. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful answer. Oh, did I turn it off? Oh, you did. Okay. Oh, you took it off for me. Okay. All right. Listen. The purpose of the law is to show us we are sinners. Now, I just want to be clear on this because the main thing that should happen in any uh, speaking engagement is that people understand salvation. Amen? 
If you are sitting in this room and you think that you are saved by doing good, you are deadly wrong. Nobody can do good. There's not a person in this room that can do anything good on their own. Amen? If you read the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, you will find out clearly that the purpose of the law, the purpose of the commandments of God, is not to make Shelley good. The purpose of the law is to show Shelley Prindle how bad she is. Which drives me to Jesus Christ to make me new. The purpose of the commandments is to show me that I cannot do it on my own. Amen? Now, that being said, if the purpose of the law is to show us what our problem is, then check this out. The greatest commandment, think logically and mathematically with me, then the greatest commandment should show us our greatest problem. Does that make sense? If the purpose of the commandments are to show us what's wrong with us, then when Jesus gives the greatest commandment, it should show us our greatest problem. What is our greatest problem? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, say it, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So what did my Jesus, when he walked the earth, identify as my biggest problem? My heart is what? Divided. You see that? You see I'm not kidding with you? It's throughout. Look, my heart does not love him with all of itself. My soul is not loving him with all. My mind is not loving him with all. And if any part of me does not love him, that is a divided heart. Amen? That is our biggest problem. Divided hearts are what produce anxious lives. Now, this gets really convicting because even those of us, I've been saved since I was about six years old. I got saved in whirly birds. Anybody remember whirly birds? Does anybody? You do? Do you remember what we wore? What did we wear? The beanies. Red and white beanies with propellers on the top, okay? I was saved wearing a red and white beanie with a propeller on the top of my head when I was about six years old. Now, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Can you bring that PowerPoint back up? It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. There are things in you and things that God needs to show all of us about brokenness in our hearts. Amen? Now watch this. Just so, just to prove again that I'm not crazy and that God is Lord over all. When I went back to school for my master's degree in 2007, I went for a master's in educational leadership and I had to study the brain. How brains function. This is not from a Christian book. This is from Dr. Willis. She is a PhD in education and in brain research. She is not, I mean, she may be a Christian, but not that I can tell. You know what I mean? She's just a writer. And here's what she said about the human brain. Because we now have MRIs and can look at the brain more intimately, watch what she said. PET scans and fMRI scans reveal significant disturbances in the brain's learning circuits and chemical messengers when subjects are studied in stressful learning environments. In particular, 
the amygdala becomes overstimulated by stress and in that hypermetabolic state, information, watch this, cannot pass from sensory awareness into your memory storage of your brain. Now, what did she just say? She said, when you are stressed, the connection between what comes in and what stays in is what? Say it. Broken. Isn't that amazing? God is Lord over everything. When Jesus said, a divided mind is your biggest problem, He meant it. And even in a classroom, I always taught, I never threatened my students. Like, I kept the most orderly classroom, but it was out of a, a love and a rapport, not out of a fear. You know, back in the days when teachers used to beat you over the knuckles with a ruler, you thought if you answered wrong. That doesn't work very well. Why? Because when you're stressed out and put on the spot, your brain divides. And what comes in through your eyes and your ears and your sense of touch, your sensory perception, gets disconnected from the memory storage of your brain. When you aren't stressed, when you are not stressed, you can take sensory information and it gets connected. The circuitry works. Isn't that amazing? This is all biblical. They don't know it, but it's biblical. Here's what else she said. If the state of anxiety and stress is prolonged, it can lead to destruction and loss of critical what? Connecting dendrites, watch this, and synapses in the hippocampus. This means that new information does not reach the brain regions where it needs to be processed, associated with previous knowledge and experience, and stored for later recall. A divided mind doesn't work. A divided mind is always related to anxiety. And do you know who said this? beginning 3,500 years ago when he first had Moses start penning the words of the Bible, God said it. Amen? The root of anxiety is a divided mind. But not just a divided mind, divided in our affection for him. That's the problem. I love to... How many of you could guess that I love to go to the library? I am such a geek. And proud of it. Geeks unite. All right? Listen, I'm telling you. If you ever come to Irwin and you want to visit me, you can stop over at Norwin Line Church, although I don't have normal business hours. You'll probably more likely find me at Norwin Public Library studying. So one day I was in the library. This was one day in the year 2011 when I was writing Anxiety Undone. I did an experiment. I went to Norwin Public Library and I took the titles of all the newest releases of books in their new nonfiction section. All right? Randomly, didn't plan it, didn't go different days, went one day. And here is what I found in the new release section. You ready for this? These are the topics that were addressed. Homelessness, caring for aging parents, marriage and family problems, peace when pets die, Bernie Madoff and the death of trust, addiction to performance-enhancing drugs, the race to kill the BP oil gusher. Remember that one? Dementia and friendship as we age. There's a lighthearted topic. Food poisoning. Creating a sustainable food system for the world. Waking up to a stroke. Europe's failure to fix economic troubles. 
America's secret spy war with China, steps to financial freedom in retirement, government secrets, ways to raise your child's IQ. As if you didn't have enough to do, you should be working on that. Marketing yourself for success. Diabolical insects that wreak havoc on us. That was one of my favorites. People actually go and check this thing out. You don't have enough to worry about. Okay, kids' psychiatric medication, rise and fall of Al-Qaeda, our economic nightmare is just beginning. Okay? Now listen. Oh, my goodness. You get up in the morning. You are a finite human being. Do you have the time, energy, or strength to worry about everything that you have to control? You have got to, first of all, be practical and make sure you have pants to wear in the morning. And sometimes that can be rough, depending on how many kids, people are in your house. You've got to brush your teeth, have pants to wear. You've got to make sure there's dinner. If you work, you've got to go to work. You've got to work on your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children. Make sure that they get to all their activities. Are you continuing your education? Do you have your, are your children prepared for college? What about your 401k? Do you have enough life insurance? You know, what about your physical health? Did you make the doctor's appointments? Do you have enough time to exercise? Are you making sure there's not diabolical insects in the corners of your basement that might bite your children? What about the kids that your children are hanging around? What about Al-Qaeda? What about North Korea? Are they going to launch a missile? Do we have enough stuff stored in the basement in case there's a natural disaster? Okay, are you getting the picture? Like, if we think for one second that we can control anything, we're insane. Now wait, we as women want to nurture and control everything. You cannot. Jesus knew that Norwin Public Library would have all those titles on the shelf in one day. And Jesus knew what life would be like in the year 2013. That is why he said the following thing. And that is why you'll see this great artistry up on the screen. I am an artist. Now, Carol referred to HopeAndPassion.org. HopeAndPassion.org is my website. I write regular devotions, and sometimes I embellish them with beautiful pictures like this, so you need to go there and look, okay? But here's the thing. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What that verse is saying is, if you are like the guy on the left, you're the woman on the left, and you're taking all the things of life, your family relationships, your financial problems, your medical things, your kids, the future. You're trying to take everything that you should as a good American mother and wife take into consideration. If you're trying to do that, you're going to go crazy because your mind was not meant to be divided. I'm going to start singing. That's not going to be good. Listen, what you need to do is unite your mind under one thing. This is beautiful. If you would only worry about loving God, He will take the rest of the circumstances and do what? Draw them up to you. Now, I know this happens. Listen, personal testimony. My husband, for a living, he's ordained with the Assemblies of God, but he drives over-the-road motor coach. He drives bus. I have taught or been principal in Christian school for 15 years. 
Now, there are some big, gigantic Christian schools, but most Christian school teachers make below poverty income. So I'm married to a bus driver, and I have made below poverty income most of my life. When I step back and look at the age that we are and see that our home is paid off, that we have everything provided that we need, if you were to look at that and say, how did they do that? I would say, I have no idea. Except I know this. I said, God, you call me to teach in a Christian school? I'll teach in a Christian school because I love you. I'll invest in eternity because I love you. Okay? I have had diabetes for 30 years, defying all statistics. No bleeding behind my eyes, no kidney trouble, no complications. Should not be so. If I were to get up every morning and say, I gotta take perfect care of my disease, I gotta think of another financial plan for my husband and I, I gotta take care of this family problem, I'm gonna take it. If I woke up every morning and tried to divide my mind over what I needed to take care of, it could never happen. But guess what? If I wake up in the morning and I say, Jesus, I'm giving my heart, and my mind and my affection 100% to you today and whatever you've called me to do, somehow, some way, He brings it from underneath up to you. Isn't that beautiful? That is what the essence of Matthew 6.33 is all about. And when we come back from our break, we're going to go into the verses preceding that, talking about the lilies of the field. Okay, let's see if I'm back on here. Okay, if you'd bring up the PowerPoint for me where we left off. I heard that some of you were getting a little bit cold in the first session, so they turned up the heat. Well, I wasn't cold. (laughs) And I am also a sweater by nature, so not a sweater like you wear, like I'm a sweater. So if you start seeing, you know, darker spots under my armpits, you'll know what's going on. It's all for the people. Give the people what they want. Okay. We left off in Matthew. Yeah, you'll get what you want when you see me up here all wet. You'll be okay. We left off in Matthew six. We were talking about Matthew six thirty three, and I want to go. To the context of Matthew six thirty three is Jesus teaching. He begins in verse twenty eight, a very famous portion of scripture. Says, "And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin." Now, do you ever really think about this scripture, how interesting it is? Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. And how many of you would like to know what the Greek behind lilies is? Because you've learned trigonometry and Greek, okay? So the Greek behind anxious is divided or cut into parts. The Greek behind lilies actually includes the gladiolus, the iris, the tulips, and the lilies. So Jesus was really looking out and saying, Look at all the beautiful flowers of the field. And it is amazing how flowers can be. The, the vibrant colors and how detailed they are. And Jesus says a very simple statement. You wonder why he said this. They don't labor or spin. Duh. You know, like they don't get up and go to work. They don't have sewing machines. They aren't making themselves clothes. They're not spinning. They're not sewing. But what Jesus was trying to say is, They are not working to make themselves beautiful. They are just standing in the field and being what God called them to be. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's what he's emphasizing here. 
He's saying the lilies of the field are not working really hard to make themselves something. They are just being what God called them to be. They're standing in the field. The the process of photosynthesis is taking place. They're absorbing the sun's rays and the water from the rain. And they are doing what God called them to do. Then Jesus goes on to say that not even Solomon in all of his glory was dressed like one of these. Now, why did he use Solomon as the example? Because Solomon was the what of all the Israeli kings? He was the wisest and the wealthiest. Now, how many of you women in this place say, if only I had enough money to shop at such and such a place, I would look better. If only I had enough money to buy the expensive brand of that makeup, I would look better. If only I had the money to go get my hair done at such and such a place every week, I would really be beautiful. Jesus would say, no. Solomon had access to the fanciest, most expensive clothes Everything that the world had to offer, Solomon had access to. That's why Jesus uses Solomon. If you ever thought you needed more money and more connections, more designer stuff to make yourself look beautiful, Jesus says, no, that's not what you need. Even Solomon in all his glory was not as beautiful as one of the lilies of the field. If we would just be who God has called us to be. Amen? Now, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to look nice, but Jesus was saying, don't worry. Do what you're supposed to do. Live out my word, and you will be the beautiful person and have the things that you need to have. Now, that was the context of him coming upon Matthew 6.33 and saying, you've got to unite your mind. Now, I have never in my lifetime, you can probably tell, paid a whole bunch of attention to the outside beauty. I don't try to go around looking like a wreck, but I'm not into all the makeup and stuff, and I don't really, you know, I try to make my hair look decent, but what I really try to do is live my life on a deep level. Try to really concentrate on God and what He's doing for people on the inside. And I don't care what you really think of my hair or my makeup or my clothes, but when you meet me at the back table to talk about one of my products and you give me a testimony of what God is doing in your heart because of His Word going out, that's what I consider beautiful. Amen? And so we need to concentrate on this fact. We need to keep our minds focused on God's kingdom. He'll make us the beautiful person we're supposed to be. And beauty is not on the outside. Amen? Okay, now, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to say, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, because it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not... What do you think the Greek root behind the word worry there is? The same thing, to divide to be separated into pieces, to cut into parts. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For who runs after all these things? What does it say? The pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now listen, when we as people, when we as women 
clamor about and use our time and energy running after what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and the basics of life, how we're going to decorate our houses, all this and that. If that's what we're using all of our time and affection for, we are acting in a what kind of way? A pagan way. Alright? Now, it doesn't mean that you don't, you don't need things to eat and drink and that you don't have to care about these things at all, but it means they should not take the place of God. Okay? He says pagans run after all these things. They're busy and frantic trying to, I mean, I know women, the amount of time it takes them to get ready in the morning just because of how they want to look on the outside, no wonder you're not reading your Bible. You wouldn't have time to. You know, if you come to my house, my house is neat as a pen. I'm a neat freak. It's clean. It's not so big and it's not the latest decor of everything. It's not expensive stuff. But you know what? You'll feel the presence of God there. Okay? So this is what, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, don't worry. Unite your heart under me. You don't have to run after all those things because you have a heavenly Father. Now, why did he call him our Heavenly Father in this particular instance is the question. We don't just have a Father. We have a what kind of Father? A Heavenly Father. Now, in the Church of Jesus Christ, we have succumbed to what the culture is putting out there like the New Age Movement. And I don't know how aware you are of those kind of things. I do a lot of apologetics and worldview training. You need to understand that the world we live in is a New Age kind of world. And the New Age movement or pantheism, what Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra and all those guys believe in, is that God is everything and everything is God. That we are part of that divinity and so is the tree outside there in the mountain. Alright? So these people do not separate God from His creation. So it is critically important if you have kids or grandkids that you teach the transcendence of God. God is transcendent. Alright? That is a big fancy word that means He is above us. He is different than we are. I am not God and God is not me. Amen? God is altogether different than a human being. A human being is a creation of His. Now, given that He is heavenly... Understanding theology, understanding... You know, as I said, apologetics is boring. Biblical worldview training, really? Yeah, when you get your mind in the right way of thinking, it applies to real everyday life. When I hear the phrase Heavenly Father, it means something really big to me. Because I know that heavenly means that He is transcendent, which means that nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop Him from meeting my needs. Now, let me show you what I mean in visual form. I like pictures. I like visuals. In the Bible, when we see the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's different from Lord with a capital L and all small letters. And in your Bible, when you see all capitals, the reason that's different, Lord in small letters means Master. So sometimes Jesus is referred to as Lord or God is referred to as Lord, which means He's the Master over us. That's true. He is Lord. When we see it in all capitals, it's a transliteration of the meaning behind Jehovah. Now, the word Jehovah is a translation of Yahweh. 
How many of you have ever heard Yahweh? And Yahweh in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, they didn't even use vowels when they wrote Yahweh. It was Y-H-W-H with no vowels. Because they thought God's name was too holy to pronounce. So they made it non-pronounceable. So it was Yahweh. We took Yahweh, transliterated it into Jehovah. And when you see it in your Bible now in English, it comes across as Lord in all capitals. But that is traced back to Yahweh, which originates with Moses when Moses said to God, Who shall I say, who shall I say sent me? I love the answer God gives. I am. What does that mean? That means I am so indescribable. I am so much beyond what you can even fit in your brain. Just say, I am. Okay? Now, that's when we see all capitals in our Bible. That is an emphasis on the fact that God is, say the big word with me, transcendent. He is above us. Way bigger than we are. So when we see that in the Bible... We are talking about a God who is outside of the universe. Now, I understand the universe may not be a perfect cube, but in my mathematical mind it is. Okay, when we get to heaven, God will say, see, Shelly was right, it's a cube. Okay, now I don't know that. But anyway, let's just pretend it is a cube because whatever we know, we know the universe is finite. It can't be infinite because God is infinite, okay? So as big as the universe seems to us, there it is. And the creator of time and space exists outside of time and space. This is beautiful. We're getting into some physics here. The maker of time and space cannot be bound by time and space. Amen? He stands outside of it. So God is timeless and spaceless. He can be everywhere at once, whereas I can only be one place at one time. He is in all time, even though I am limited. I can't go to the future or the past. Do you with me? Okay, he is Jehovah, so watch this. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3 says this. Psalm 5, 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Psalm 5, 3, I think I have it in the NASB version in my brain. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. So that is us praying to God. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. In the morning, Jehovah, I'll take all my prayer requests and send them up to you. Why? Well, watch this. In this thing called the universe that we're stuck in right now are all kinds of troubles and trials and circumstances. Those are the yellow dots. Okay? You get up in the morning, you have to deal with how many different problems and circumstances. Millions of them. Okay, now listen. We are finite creatures stuck in the finite box bouncing around with all these circumstances. Is that what it, is that what it feels like sometimes? You know those money machines? With the, they, have the, they, they blow the wind and you get like in a telephone booth thing and they blow the wind and there's money blowing all around and you, you're supposed to try to catch as much as you can. Anybody ever seen that? That's what life is like, okay? You're stuck in the universe, you're a finite being, you're in this box, all these circumstances are blowing around you, okay? And you're trying to harness them all. You're trying to grab them all and put them in place. I'll grab this, you know, my financial things, I'll put those in order, spiritual things, my physical things, my family things, um, you know, my, my, my goals for the future. You just try all these circumstances bouncing all around you. If you were to get in that box and try to harness all those circumstances, it would be what? 
impossible. Because you're stuck in the box with them and they're bouncing all around. And you're just one person with 24 hours a day and like, you know, how much of a brain are we? We have this finite little puny little brain compared to God. We only have 24 hours in a day and some of those you have to use sleeping. We could never do it. So what Psalm 5.3 is saying is this. It's saying, Lord, I'm stuck in the box with the problems. I can't harness them all. But in the morning, O Lord, I will by faith take those circumstances and I will purposely send them up outside of the box. Because only in sending them up outside of the box to you, who stands above them all, who can see beginning to end, only in doing that will I know for sure that you, God, being transcendent, being outside of space and time, not limited by anything, all-powerful, you can take those circumstances then that I have sent up to you and you can put them back down in the proper order. Amen? That is the essence of Matthew 6.33 in the Old Testament Psalm 5.3. I have to, by faith, send them up to God. And then He will take them and order them for me because He's outside the box. Amen? That is what is behind Lord Jehovah. Now, if we look at the problem of the divided mind again from an Old Testament perspective, listen to what God said in Exodus 20. Another familiar passage of Scripture. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So right away, he's setting the parameters and saying, look, you wouldn't even be saved without me. Amen? Remember who we depend on. He says, you shall have how many gods before me? None. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourself an idol, any likeness of what is in heaven or on earth. Or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them. Some versions say you shall not bow down to them. Okay? This is a mere image of what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Don't be divided. God said in the Old Testament, you shall have no idols, no other gods before me. We sometimes look at that and we say, oh, those dirty, rotten Israelites started worshiping Baal and sacrificing their children to Molech. Those idols back then, we don't have Baal today. Hmm. We have all kinds of idols. Not in the church, especially in the church. Yes. Now watch this. This applies to us. Part of anxiety is this problem. When we worship idols, we are going to always have to fear what threatens those idols. Now, I'm going to explain this, but let this sink in for a minute. If you have any other gods in your heart except for the true God, you will have to work to defend your God. Now, watch this. If, for example, I have an idol in my heart of money, I spend a lot of time worrying about money, I think about the future and how much money I need, what i got to have, 
I work too, much, too many hours or maybe I work at all and I don't really need to be, but I'm doing it because i got to have such and such size of a house or so many cars or i got to keep up with the Joneses, okay? That's having an idol of money. And if you make money your idol, then you become anxious because your idol can be threatened. Let the stock market dip tremendously and all of a sudden your idol's in jeopardy. Amen? My husband got sick over Christmas time and he doesn't have disability and he doesn't make a salary. He works by the hour. So when he was off work, suddenly with one illness, money was threatened. Income was threatened. If, if, I, if my idol is money, I will spend half of my life anxious because my idol needs to be protected because it is pathetic. Alright? If you make your idol a person or a relationship, if you put all of your hopes in a person or a relationship, you better look out. Because you'll become very anxious as you jealously look around at everybody and everything that could possibly threaten your hold on that relationship. Amen? You become a very jealous, controlling type of person. You know, what is this person doing? Uh, Who's going to try to take this person from me? Because your idol can be threatened. If you make your idol power... Or, you know, you want to be the boss, or you want to have control, or you want to be successful. And that becomes your idol, and you become obsessed with that instead of God. Well, then you're always going to be looking over your your shoulder for who's trying to take it from you. You're going to be working more hours than you're supposed to work. You're going to be looking to yourself more than you should look to yourself. Because your idol of success can be threatened. One heartbeat. One career move. One step away and your idol can be wiped out. Amen? God knew this and said, therefore, you should have no other gods before me. Now, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Isaiah 44, talks about idols. And when we look at it, we think, those people were dumb. It's us. Now, watch this. Isaiah 44. The blacksmith takes a tool... And works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. So catch this. The blacksmith is taking tools and his own arm and he's shaping with a hammer in these tools. He's making an idol. While he's making it, he gets hungry and thirsty and he's near to fainting. So just keep the picture in your mind. Then, then we move on. But before we do, I want to talk to you about this. So we've got this guy. He's going to use a tool like a hammer. He's going to use the strength of a strong arm. He's going to take the metal or whatever it is and he's going to put it in the fire so he can mold it and shape it. But while he's working on the idol that he's trying to make, he gets tired and grows faint. He's making a god. He is forming a god and he can't even stay awake. Do you get the how ludicrous this is? Now this is us. 
Right? We're staying up late at night and we're thinking about whatever it is, relationship, success, money. You stick in whatever it is that you tend to put before God. Whatever fears or worries or things you tend to put before God. They can be positives and negatives. It's possible for me to put hope and passion ministry as an idol over God. That's, okay, they can be good things, they can be bad things. It's possible for me to take my diabetes and put it as an idol before God because I spend more time worrying about it than I do worshiping God. You with me? These can be good or bad, but what we do is we make the idols. We decide what should be our God. Meanwhile, we can't even keep from fainting ourselves. What business do we think we can have creating a God? It's always going to go wrong when we do that. The carpenter measures, he takes his tools, he measures this thing out, he takes the wood, he builds an idol, and it says he sets it up in a shrine, which in the original means kind of like a house. He puts the idol in a house, and he looks at it, and he bows down to it, and he worships it. He puts the idol in a house. I remember this friend of mine, he's an elder at our church, he said to me one time he was working this job, and there was, he couldn't get home like when he was supposed to get home because a flood swept through the area. And he saw a house float down the road. And I'll never forget that because I thought of this scripture. We take our idols and we protect them and we put, this in, we put them in this place. We put them in this shrine or this house and we begin to worship them. And the house we put them in, we don't even have control over. It's so ludicrous. When you look at this, you think, these people are nuts. What is, what is wrong with these people? This is us. And all the things that we clutter our lives with and put before God, and we have no control whatsoever over them. This man that was making the idol, he cut down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Do you get what this is saying? The guy takes wood from some tree. Half of it he burns in a fire to make bread. And the other half he worships? How dumb is that? Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat, and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. See the fire? From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me. You are my god. Now, he just burn it to make bread for that night's dinner. But the other block of it, he's going to bow down and say, save me. Now, this is how stupid and ridiculous we are when we divide our hearts and say, you know what? Instead of all my affection being on God, I know he really doesn't want me to work the extra hours, or I know he doesn't want me to have this job, or I know he doesn't want me to run so hard after this particular person, or I know he doesn't want, but I'm going to do it anyway because I need security. It's the same thing. Because people... And success and money and all the things, even if they're good things that come from God to help us, they come from God. They are God's tools for us. They are not God. Amen? 
We don't take those very things and bow down and worship them, even if they're blessings. They know nothing, these idols. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. I love this. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, hmm, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? You notice what it's saying? Nobody stops to think. And this is what has happened in the church of Jesus Christ. We've lost our peace of mind. Everybody's half crazy. We're going nutso, trying to find books to read. How can I get my peace of mind back? Why is my life so insane? Why is everything so crazy? Because you never stop to think. Should I take the blessings or the things that God has given me and worship them? Or should I worship the God who gave them to me? Amen? This is what the Bible is saying. It's a divided heart. Listen, anything that we give our hearts to other than God can be and will be shaken. Anything. Anything we give our time and affection to. You say, I don't have any idols. Listen, whatever your mind goes back to by default, when you don't have anything else you have to think about, that's your idol. That's why so many people don't want to be alone with themselves. Think about this. If it's difficult for you to be alone by yourself, if it's difficult to be alone by yourself, that was really smart. Okay, if it's difficult for you to be alone, or if it's difficult for you to be in quiet and solitude, you may have an idol. It may be anxiety, it may be a person, it may be... I don't know what it is, but listen... Whatever your mind goes back to by default is what really matters to you. That's a good diagnostic tool. And anything other than God can be shaken. That's why He doesn't want us to have a divided heart. Anxiety comes when we are distracted by what can be shaken rather than focus completely on God. In August of 2011... I think it was like a 5.4 or a 5.8 on the Richter scale, we felt an earthquake in Irwin, Pennsylvania. It was rooted in Virginia. Remember, and the, the effects came up through here. It was the first earthquake I ever remember experiencing. And I remember it because I was in my either first or second staff meeting at Norman Lyons Church. So I was in there with Pastor. I can't say his name because I ratted him out at the beginning of the message. So I can't say his name. But I was in there with Pastor Blah 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 and his secretary and me were in his office having this little meeting. And the earthquake hit. And I didn't really know what was going on at first, but I thought I was getting dizzy or something was happening and I knew that was very disturbed. And and then I looked over at Cindy, the secretary, and she was, you know, very disturbed and shaken. And like women, we were like, oh, you know, what's going on? And I'll never forget Pastor. He looked at us. And this is exactly what he did. Mhm. I believe we've had an earthquake. Let's pray. <laughs> How could this man be so calm? I was like, okay, so we prayed about the. But here's the thing: the earthquake was very disturbing. It's very disturbing when the concrete under you begins to shake. It's very disturbing when these great edifices we've built can be cracked down the center and start to topple over. Just a tad bit disturbing. 
when everything begins to shake. Now go there with me for a minute because after that happened, I posted the Hope and Passions Facebook page that afternoon. I got on. I like to put a lot of posts on there. And I said, let the earthquake today remind us that everything in this world, including this world, can be shaken. There is only one refuge we have on which to stand, and that is Jesus Christ. Listen, people will make the statement, I'm as sure about that as the ground I'm standing on. (laughs) You're not very sure, are you? Because one shift of a tectonic plate underneath there, and buddy, the whole thing comes crashing down. And it gets worse than that. I mean, I love to bring the Bible to real life. We sometimes look at the Bible, we think those are spiritual things, this is real stuff. Ah, listen, this is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. It's referring to when, when God shook the earth when He gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. There was an earthquake. You remember that? Now watch this. Oh, this is beautiful. The Bible says, the writer of Hebrews says, and His voice shook the earth then. It shook the earth then. But now He has promised Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the what? The heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now you can read Revelation, you can read 2 Peter chapter 3, you can read Matthew 24, you can come to service here tomorrow about the second coming of the Lord and find this thing out. God is going to shake it all. He's going to shake it. I picture it like a picnic, you know, you're having a picnic in the summer and you have your nice checkered picnic tablecloth on there with all the stuff on it. If you pick that cloth up and you just shake it, Everything's going to fly off that cloth except the fabric of the cloth itself. You with me? This is talking about the future when the Lord returns. God said, you thought me shaking the earth was rough? I'm going to shake everything. And the only thing that will remain is what is mine and rightly related to me. So the question is, is your life sewn into the fabric of God? Or are you just playing games? Because every idol we hold is going to what? Going to be shaken like a dirty paper plate off the picnic tablecloth. He is going to shake everything. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. I love this scripture. There's only a few that I like. But I love Revelation 20, 11. You know what it says? John said, Then I saw the great white throne and Him who was seated on it. Who is that? Jesus Christ. This is the great judgment seat of God. And Him who was seated on it. He said, Earth and sky, 